Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Editors Nat Sanders and Joy McMillan's lives changed after earning Oscar nominations for Moonlight, written and directed by their Florida State classmate, Barry Jenkins. Today, they join us to talk about their careers, Moonlight's best picture win following the envelope mix-up, and their latest work on Jenkins' If Beale Street Could Talk, an adaptation of James Baldwin's novel. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen podcast. Set in 1970s Harlem, If Beale Street Could Talk follows the story of an African-American couple and their families, as told through the eyes of 19-year-old Tish, whose fiancé, Fonny, is arrested for a crime he did not commit. In addition to Moonlight, Sanders' credits include 2013 indie Short Term 12, for which he earned his first Independent Spirit Award, and 2017's The Glass Castle. Macmillan, who with Moonlight also became the first black woman to be nominated for an Oscar in film editing recently edited 2017's Lemon. Welcome, Joy and Nat. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> so to start, how have your careers changed since your Oscar nomination for Moonlight? I mean, it has been incredible. I mean, for each of us in, in different ways. And, and, you know, it was all so unexpected. It was a $1.5 million movie. And I'll let Joy speak about her. But for me, I had been coming up a very indie film path. And Moonlight was just you know, it was obviously it was very special, but as far as budget and scope, it was kind of in line with what I've been doing. And I'd always wanted to be accepted by, you know, the editing community in Hollywood and, and to be a part of it. And but I'd been kind of going on this kind of side indie film path. And Moonlight really opened all those doors. And, you know, Joy and I got invited into ACE and the Academy. And we've really kind of been embraced by the editing community here. And it's just been it's been really special. And it's just felt really validating and really good. Yeah, it's very true. I would say for me, it went from like trying to get a job as an editor to all of a sudden having all of these doors open for me. And in some ways kind of become a spokeswoman for, you know, black females who are trying to get into editing. And that to me was very surprising, but also like a responsibility that I take very seriously to, you know, become this goal for some people and something that people aspire to was uh, felt a little bit of pressure, but also it's very rewarding when you connect with these people who say that, like, I got into editing because of you and because of you, I now see where I can go is, you know, very heartwarming, but also I feel like, you know, a little bit of a responsibility to like keep going for them. So, yeah. <laughs> 
And you both actually have been doing quite a bit of speaking for American cinema editors and other such opportunities. Yeah, I mean, it helps when Joy <laughs> has her personality. She has a lot of requests, and I'm just kind of along for the ride, but happy to be here. <laughs> so at, at the Academy Awards, after Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were handed the wrong Best Picture envelope, you were both on stage as Barry accepted the Oscar for Moonlight. What was that experience like? Crazy. Yeah. It still feels like a dream, I'd say. Like, like so, did that really happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Like, did that really happen? I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. I think Nat was aware of what was happening way earlier than I was. I was, you know, kind of, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, it's okay. Like it was expected, La La Land won, you know? Like I had an inkling that we had a little bit of a chance when Barry won the Writers Guild Award, because we all went there and we were at the table. It was um, Nat and his fiance, Hillary. It was James Laxon, our cinematographer, and one of the partners at Pastel, Mark Syriac. And I don't think a lot of people know, but you go to so many award shows during this whole process. And, you know, La La Land kept winning. And then when they said Barry's name for Moonlight, I think we all lost our minds. It was like, we're all like football fans. And so it was like our team finally won (laughs) at the Writers Guild. And I I kind of like the door cracked open a little bit at that moment. So I held out hope that maybe possibly we could win Best Picture. So when we didn't, I was like, okay, you know, we gave it a fighting chance. We did the best we could. So I was like on my phone and had all these emails of people saying, you guys should have won and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll get to those later. And then Nat was standing up and I look at him and he's like rubbing his forehead. <laughs> I was? Yeah, you were. <laughs> and you kept, and you were like trying to figure something out. And I was like, oh, and I just went back to my phone. And then you were like, Joy, I think we won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the biggest signifier was in the upper corners of the Dolby Theater, there were big screens that show you the live feed of what ABC is showing to viewers back home. And for the first time, in like halfway through the, the La La Land producer speeches, the screens for the first time just went blue. They just they just kind of like technical problems just shut off. So that was the first signal that just something wasn't right. And you saw little producers running around in the wings, people on headsets. So there, there were clues that something was wrong. And so then <laughs> when Jordan Horowitz said, Moonlight, you won. This isn't a joke. It was just too. Nobody would do that if it wasn't if it wasn't real. So I, I knew right away. I said, Joy, we won. And it, it took her maybe 10 or 15 seconds to realize it, too. It was slow, slow, <laughs> slow for it to all day, you know, to realize and then that we what he was saying. To, yeah. And then we kind of had to edge our way past people in the aisle because nobody else knew what was happening yet. And make our, I feel like I, Ava DuVarnay gives yeah, a high five or something. It and, was, yeah, it was amazing. And we made our way up to stage. <laughs> and when you're up there, if you're behind the people talking, you, you can't hear anything at all. So I couldn't hear what Barry or anybody else was saying. So I just kind of kept looking up at the screen, trying to get any clues of what had happened. And and I looked over to my right at one point, and Joy had her arm around Warren Beatty and said, it's all right, Warren, it could have happened to anyone. And this is Joy's first feature as an editor, and she, the moment was not too big for her. She was ready for it, <laughs> consoling Warren Beatty. And and then we walked off stage, and you know, Lawland had just exited stage 30 seconds or a minute before us so they were all still backstage so 
So we wanted to go crazy and celebrate, yeah. but they were right there. So we kind of, we had to try to temper it a little bit, but they were very, they were great about it. I remember Ryan Gosling was just kind of laughing. He kind of saw the humor in it and <laughs> they were really, they were great about it. Yeah. But then the whole rest of the night, I remember the ride, we kind of, I guess there's a thing about the Vanity Fair party that, you know, if you, unless you're a celebrity, you kind of need maybe an Oscar. Mm -hmm. You just, you could be at a party of 15 people, but if, and if one person is holding an Oscar, you can get all 15 people in. So, exactly. so we all pile, we all consolidated to make sure we had one Oscar in each car yeah. and we piled in <laughs> and went to the Vanity Fair party and the whole ride over. I just remember everybody was on their phones because, you know, we didn't get to see the zoom in on the, on the car that said Moonlight was the actual winner. Mm -hmm. We didn't know any of that. So we were trying to piece it all together so even at, and at, then at the vanity fair party we were still kind of in our corner trying to figure out what had happened and it was a surreal very surreal night yeah okay <laughs> so, so moving ahead um <laughs> when did barry introduce you to his beale street project and what attracted you to the material we had known barry had been planning on beale street being his next film while we were still making moonlight before the reception of it and before we knew how that was going to go he had written it at the same time as he had written Moonlight, maybe summer of 2013, I think. He went to Europe and wrote both those scripts. And he didn't have the rights to the to Beale Street when he wrote it, but he was just hopeful. And he'd already been speaking with the Baldwin family somewhat. And so that was always his next plan. And so that was always kind of what we knew was going to be going to be the next project. Mm -hmm. What attracted you to the material? I think for a lot of African-Americans growing up in the time period, that we are. James Baldwin is a very relevant icon. And so for me, the first time I was introduced to Baldwin was probably in high school. And so it was interesting when Barry's talking about if Beale Street could talk, because like he says, that's one of his lesser known works, but you know, he was really he gravitated towards the material. And I always tell people like Barry Jenkins is a man who loves love. You know, he if you ever meet him, he's so welcoming and he, you know, he just is so personable and the way he captures and, you know, projects love is a beautiful thing. And so when I heard that he was, you know, that was like next up for him, it was something that I was excited about, but did feel the pressure of Baldwin because he is iconic and he is, you know, very, very prevalent in the African-American community. So if you do them, you have to do them right. So it was exciting, but also a little, a little bit of fear, you know? Yeah. And the Baldwin family, this is the first, I don't know if it's the first adaptation period. It's definitely the first American adaptation of his work. The family is notorious for not allowing anybody to adapt him into and, and to use his writing and he's also one of Barry's I mean maybe Barry's like kind of number one hero and he's always been in love with Baldwin so so we felt that extra pressure we knew how important it was to him as well as, as how important it was to us too. Editing is often referred to as the final rewrite and in the case of Beale Street that included moving that pivotal flashback that reveals why Fani had been framed for the crime. How was it originally scripted and what was the reasoning for the change? Structurally in the film, we did move a lot around. The first act, I would say maybe the first 28 minutes of the film, were pretty set. There were some things that moved around that we kept experimenting back and forth, but for the most part, that stayed close to the way it was. But after that, the movie really kaleidoscopes out, and there are a lot of options. Almost anything could go in almost any order. And so it led to months of, you know, we got the scenes cut together in, in the shape they're in now pretty quickly and, and figured out all the nuance within the scenes. But we probably spent several months just structurally moving things around, looking at the board, 
shifting things around, discussing what would work about it, what wouldn't work about it, all the ripple effects. But there were several big things that weren't working in the second act in the middle of the film, the way it was scripted and constructed at first, which were there's a big kind of montage. We call it the hustling montage where things are kind of propelling. Regina Kane's character ends up going down to Puerto Rico and things were kind of propelling in this montage, propelling us towards that. All the characters are kind of doing what they can do to try to do their part to get Fonny out. And that was, that came fairly early in the second act. And so it was kind of this big ramp up and then you kind of have another 20 minutes of dialogue scenes. It just kind of was ramping you up for something that didn't pay off for, for another 20 minutes and that, that wasn't working. And the reveal of what had happened to Fani, why he's in prison also was coming too early mm-hmm. because, yeah, that was connected to, this is all getting in the weeds a little bit, but <laughs> that was connected to the loft when they, that they get from Levy, the, the landlord. And that was also coming too early. It kind of took the air out, kind of took the tension out for that to happen. So we knew we wanted to move that back. We knew we wanted to move that hustling montage back, but there were a lot of ripple effects to it. So it took it took a long time to nuance those moves and figure it out. Yeah. This film, I feel like with Moonlight, you know, structurally, our structure was kind of locked in early on. With this film, the nuances are so, so, so minute. And so it was like, if you moved something forward, it might have a ripple effect and cause something that came later not to actually pay off in the way that you wanted it to. So there became like, it was probably like a good six weeks where like every night Barry was taking the film home with him because we would make a change and you couldn't just watch the change and do like five minutes before and five minutes after to see if it worked. You like really had to watch the whole entire movie from beginning to end to make sure that the change we made was the right change. And so to get to the structure that we finally ended up with, it was a lot of push and pull and maybe trying to trim a scene down or intercutting a scene so we don't lose it altogether. There's a lot of little things that eventually added up to one big thing. But during the process, it was kind of like, are we doing this right? (laughs) (laughs) Is this paying off? Which hopefully it did. Yeah. Probably the easiest way to describe it is, as an editor, you're the eyes of the audience. You weren't on set. You didn't know what was hilarious that happened in the moment. All you're seeing is things through the monitor, which is how the audience is going to perceive it. So it's really important to kind of preserve those feelings when you're seeing the dailies or when you watch the assembly for the first time. And when we watched the assembly that Joy and I had put together for the first time with Barry, I know we all kind of, it felt very, it was so obvious that the first half an hour, that first act was really working mm-hmm. and we were, and there were laughs and it was moving and we were excited. And then in the second act, it just wasn't satisfying and we both it just kind of got bogged down so we had to it took months to kind of dissect exactly why that was happening and to figure out all the right moves to to fix it in this film there are a lot of moments that really worked that were surrounded by a lot that didn't and so ultimately we just had to take a pass where we were elevating everything so they all were moments that were working and none of them felt false or didn't you know were in there unnecessarily the cast was fantastic. Did, did you have a lot of takes to work with? And would you talk about shaping the performances? The cast is really good. And I think one of it's one of those things where every actor brought so much to the table. And so in some ways, you know, when people watch the movie, they're like, I could watch a whole movie just about Tish's parents, you know, or I could watch a whole movie just about the hunts. But ultimately, all of these different characters are the sum of their parts and basically painting an image of what 
Tish and Fani's lives are. And so I think ultimately as an editor, our goal was to make every single performance be a standout performance. And so it validates the presence of that character. And basically you still feel the presence of that character, even though they're still not on the screen. And that's the thing about the family and the love and the appreciation for each other is felt. And I think that like raises the stakes for Fani being in jail and trying to get out. And so there was so much that some like you know there's a lot of scenes that didn't end up in the movie but I still feel like the presence of those scenes are still there like you know like the actors acted it out and so with that knowledge of the scene that may have been taken out and you know influenced their performance later in the film and so yeah there was great performances a lot of amazing takes and I think ultimately what ended up in the final film is a good representation of what everyone brought to the table. Do you have a favorite scene? Oh, so hard. <laughs> um, uh, you can think about it while I say Yeah, mine. you do say yours and I'll I think, think about it. we each worked on half the film, so it's probably one of the ones, just because we know it, our scenes yeah. so intimately. <laughs> I mean, for ones that Joy cut, I love the, the long scene with Brian Tyree Henry. He's, yeah. he's so incredible in it. But my overall favorite scene is probably the perfume counter scene. Uh, it's yeah. kind of an abstraction. There's It's not moving the plot forward at all. And... Which led to, I remember after our first friends and family screen that we did, there was some talk about losing it. And I think it got in Barry's head a little bit. So he's like, maybe we should lose this. It's not moving the plot forward. And that was one where I like dug my heels in really, really hard. That the scene was really special and really had to stay in the film. And luckily, one of Joy's mentors, Terry Shopshire, the editor, was at that screening. And she also echoed that this you, that that was the first words out of her mouth were how amazing that scene was so i could kind of use that as as <laughs> as collateral or you know just as kind of evidence with barry be like terry loved that scene barry you can so but anyway i love that scene that was my favorite it's a good one even though you want me to cut it i this is the thing <laughs> i i do appreciate the scene and it is it is a beautiful scene it was one of those moments where where the film currently was it stuck out. You know, it was one of those things that did not move the story along. But later, as we whittled it down, it, you know, it found its place, its home in the mm-hmm. film. And it definitely was like, oh, yeah, this is necessary. And the reactions that the scene got from a lot of people when we previewed it, it's, you know, it scored really high. And it was like, okay, this is, even though this moment may not seem important on its own as a whole with the film it was definitely you know a valid scene that needed to be kept in i still can't think of my favorites when we talked talked before one of you specifically mentioned the scene with regina king that was my hardest scene (laughs) what was your hardest scene? Um, that was definitely my hardest scene between regina king who plays tish's mom sharon rivers and emily rios who plays victoria um that was a very, I think that scene is a very delicate scene. And for me to get the right balance between these two characters who are coming together, who are both broken by the situation and are trying to find some semblance of reconciliation and it just doesn't happen. And so it's a powerful scene, but it's also a fine line with that scene. I remember Barry sitting behind me and us trying to navigate it in a way where the audience feels you know both of these women's pain you know so that was I think that was definitely my toughest scene I guess my favorite scene I think it's from the well it's like a section it's from them coming home 
Tofani's apartment for the first time. So the love making all the way through the train, like that little section, I think is my favorite. You used a lot of flashbacks throughout mm-hmm. the film. What was the challenge to to cutting between those periods? I think our biggest challenge, I think when people first watched the film, it was connecting with Tish, who was basically our vehicle through this whole entire story. And it's interesting because it was the same thing with Moonlight. Like we had to actually do a pass where we made sure that people were entering and exiting through this film and were connecting with Chiron. And so we did a pass on this film as well, where people were coming in and out of the flashbacks for the majority of them through Tish and making them know that this is her story. She's the one who's navigating this and like she's basically our connection. And I think once we did a pass of that, it kind of grounded the story and was like, you know, we're in her head, she's narrating this, but we're also connecting with her as we're coming in and out of these flashbacks. What's your process like working with Barry? For instance, does he spend a lot of time in the editing room? He does spend a lot of time in the editing room. Yeah, I'm very, you know, we obviously we do our first pass by ourselves, Mm -hmm. but pretty much after that, from the first time we show him the assembly, he's pretty much in with us every day and just bouncing back and forth between our two rooms. Mm -hmm. And it's such a morale boost when Barry's around because he's he's just so (laughs) he's so exuberant. And when you do something that he loves, you just get the best reaction you could ever hope to get. You know, he can be really big and animated and he'll do airplanes around the room. And (laughs) and he just it's you're always kind of striving to get that reaction out of him. Yes. One of the things I love about Barry is he definitely creates an environment where he includes everyone. Like our assistant editor, Daniel Morphesis, and our post-production assistant, Israel Vasquez, both of them, he definitely incorporated in our whole process of like coming in and watching cuts with us, asking their input. And it definitely made us feel like, you know, like a post-production family, the way we interact and work. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about him because, you know, in the long run, you spend so much time with these people. So if you don't like coming to work, it's not a good thing. But I think we create an environment in our post team where it's overall collaboration, you know, from the top down. Yeah. And he was very stretching himself to be with us every day because he he owed so many scripts for Underground Railroad, the Amazon show he's going to be doing next year. And so he was having to anytime he got a spare moment where he could go outside and write, he would do it. But but he made it a priority to be with us every day, despite how much he had on yeah. his shoulders. So what's next for each of you? I'm working on a film right now. We're still in production, almost done, called Just Mercy. It's at Warner Brothers. stars Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson. And I think it's going to be really special. It's with the director I've worked with several times. We made a movie called Short Term 12 together. And it's based on the memoirs of Brian Stevenson, who's an amazing person. He is a lawyer in Alabama who has worked to get people off death row who are wrongfully convicted. He's, I think he's gotten 120 people off majority or if not the vast majority, all African-American males, you know, wrongfully set up and wrongfully convicted. He just opened that, the legacy museum about, I mean, it's very heavy, but about the lynching uh, history of lynching in the South. And he's just, he's an amazing, incredible person. And I think the movie's going to be really special. And I am pairing up with Janixa Bravo, who was the director of Lemon, and she's going to do a film called Zola with A24, which starts at the end of the month. So what is it like working as a team compared with when you're working solo? Joy and I working together on various films kind of happened organically, and and 
Barry and I really wanted to bring joy in on Moonlight and and it worked out so great. We had such a great time and it was such a great experience that we wanted to do it again. And and Moonlight was a little different on as far as how we split it up on this one. It was really just 50 50. Mm-hmm. We kind of decided ahead of time that just kind of arbitrarily I would take the first and the third. We just kind of split it into quadrants and I would take the first and the third sections. Joy would take the second and the fourth. So rather than just doing a scene at a time so we could kind of work on a flow and and work on our transitions and kind of have a section that could be yours and it definitely made assembly the movie much nicer to only <laughs> oh, have to assemble half so the movie. much easier <laughs> <laughs> and then from there yeah we you know barry would come and work with me on the first and third sections he would go with working with joy on the second and fourth you know anytime we would watch the movie together we would obviously give give each other lots of feedback on mm-hmm. each other's sections and and keep working to you know give notes and make it the best thing that way but we didn't really swap scenes at all it's pretty much my scenes were my scenes joy scenes were her scenes and it seemed it seemed like it worked out yeah well to me i think so i think one of the things that enables us to collaborate so well together is i think nat barry and i are all perfectionists and so we kind of I wouldn't say kind of, we definitely challenge each other to be our best selves. And so a lot of times, you know, if there's something that I'm trying to get away with in my edit, you know, Nat will be like, well, that's not working. I'm like, oh, don't point it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you you know, you have more, you definitely have some of those in mind for sure. But also there's no egos and we trust each other to the utmost. And so that enables us to work together in a way where we all know that we're trying to achieve the best film possible. And I think working with people who challenge you creates an energy where you're constantly trying to be your best self, you know, and I think that's probably like the best way or best place to operate from is, you know, trying to be and perform at your best. What is most misunderstood about editing? Mm. <laughs> How much time you have? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, part of, I, I think one of the reasons why editing is potentially a little under-discussed or appreciated is it's really hard to, a lot of times, to talk about what we do because a lot of times we, we're fixing all the problems. And so we can't, sometimes you can't say the scene shouldn't be, watchable or it shouldn't be good but we had like we dug in and we found we found one line reading from this take we found another one from this other take we just like had to kind of really construct and get this scene together with dental floss you know so it was like a it's a major achievement that the scene plays as well as it does because if you watch the dailies you would have been despondent about the you know about the scene you can't say that or you can't say this actor really was green and didn't have it and we had to really really dig it out all those things you can't talk about and just to be clear, I'm not talking about Beale Street in this case. I just mean on all on all the projects I worked on and, and just editing in general. That's one of the reasons. I think one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware of when it comes to what editors do are the million little choices that we constantly make with the director about, you know, like when score comes in, one score goes out the best shot on this person if it's in focus you know lighting all these little things that we're constantly looking at the frame and making sure it's the best frame possible I really think some people really just think you know they shoot a movie and it's done you know like Mm -hmm. the little things of us looking at visual effects you know sound design you know all of these little things that we are 
you know, behind the scenes orchestrating. I don't think people are aware of, you know, just like the little decisions that we're making. I think they kind of just think that it kind of magically happens. And I think a lot of people are okay with that. (laughs) You know, everything that we do is so nuanced and so like the choices of like maybe taking a take from, you know, a different like a line reading from a different take and putting it in a different shot because that shot has better focus. You know, like people don't think about that. You know, they think like it was shot that way and it's perfect, you know, and it's one of those things where we just, we're constantly making these little choices that hopefully enhance the viewing experience. And I just think a lot of people just aren't aware of those things. So, yeah. yeah. Like, like we are, <laughs> sorry, you get, yeah. Can, can you tell that we like answering this question? Like we are the director's collaborator in telling the story the best way it can possibly be told. Mm. You know, I I think a lot of people think that editing might just be about the specific craft of this cut or this cut. Like people sometimes will, if they're trying to say something nice about if if I've had just had a movie come out, they'll say, I loved your cuts. And it's like, oh, I mean, that's nice, but that's not what that's like such a small part of what we do. Like we (laughs) we take a lot of pride and we, we share the responsibility with the director that we are presenting the movie in the you know, that when at the end of these 10 months or however long it took that we're showing the movie in the best possible form that mm-hmm. based on what the footage was that it could possibly be shown in. And so we do tons of screenings. We analyze audience, you know, how, how it's playing, where the energy is, what, what's not working. And then we go and fix that. And then we show it again. And we like we are the director's collaborator. It's not all the director and it's not all us. But we together, we are working to make the movie the best thing it can possibly be. And... Yeah. Okay, it's on the same. But well, <laughs> if Bill Street could talk is an incredibly moving film, and congratulations to both of you, and thank you for coming in and of joining course. us. Oh, thank, yeah, you. thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.